Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Good evening, uh, good afternoon, whatever's good for you. This is a very special edition of No Encore. I am a very special edition of Craig Fitzpatrick. Back after a week off, refreshed, resplendent. Uh, I don't know if that's for me to say, maybe for my co-host to say. Let's find out. It's not Dave, so it's a good start. Zara Hederman. Hello. <laughs> resplendent, you <laughs> what are- you say? Absolutely glowing, Craig Fitzpatrick. Thank you, thank you. Sunshine is hitting your face and I'm just wondering, drop the skincare routine, hun. What are you using <laughs> these days? Yeah, we'll have to do a spin-off podcast, I think. No Ooh. something core. I don't know, we'll no, workshop no it. Skincare? <laughs> no skincare? No skincare, no core. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this has been productive already, Zara. Great to have you back. It's been oh, a little while, not terribly long. Uh, you are yeah. our favourite uh, co-host of course oh my goodness uh, our you. longest standing one of course uh, we've had some great ones Sarah Corcoran being one from last week making her debut did a tremendous, tremendous job uh, of yeah. Pillow Queen's fame 
An incredible top five uh, 90s rock anthems. Maybe one of the best <laughs> number one reveals of all time. I won't spoil it whatsoever. I, but, um, yeah, I couldn't get over her number one. I think I'm still actually kind of recovering from it. Like, yeah. just that drop. I think I listened to the episode over like two days. So like... Um, I didn't get it till the very next day and I'd heard a few people just being like I cannot get over Sarah's number one so I was like almost going to just skip straight to it but I was like no I'm, I'll be patient and boy oh boy Yeah Dave was nearly speechless nearly <laughs> speechless not quite there was actually a moment where he's just like call. he starts calling out my name plaintively yeah. and I felt like I was his mother or something and I like I couldn't get to help him and it was like it, it got a little bit much um so yeah Dave clearly needed the week off and that's why he's not here he will be returning and uh, no in truth the boy never stops he's been working way behind the scenes he's just recorded an interview with Saint Sister which is coming on Wednesday we've got a little teaser clip right now uh it was a really good chat with the girls looking forward to that so here's here's um a little sample of them talking about writing the last song on the new album, which is out now, I think. Yeah, 25th of June, Where I Should End. Here's the clip. When we were writing that song, we were kind of hitting our heads against the wall with another song and coming to the end of like a day of songwriting um, up in Leitrim. And uh, Morgan, we, we what had happened? We had kind of... Oh, I think I was in a bad mood. We'd run out of ideas. <laughs> we run out of ideas and Gemma uh, was trying to... Well, you were you you were suggesting we write something else, and I think I was just like, I have no other ideas. I'm spent. I have nothing to give you. And you- I, I was suggesting, like on the flip side, because what we don't do that often is write in the same room. And as I said a few minutes ago, we've kind of solidified into that, like sending things back and forth. Mm. I think then we were like, we probably should, you know, try and also work in the same room sometimes. <laughs> and uh, this was one where. Uh, after the end of a long day, I was kind of like, look, we can we just like drop everything, try something new? And you were a bit like, no, I don't I have nothing. I have absolutely <laughs> nothing. And I was like, OK, grand, whatever. Um, so I just like sat down at the synth and started playing that loop. And I was just messing around. I was just playing that over and over and like messing around with sounds and things. And then Morgan just sort of like takes a mic and like just kind of quietly starts murmuring things. And I was like, what's going on over there? I just kept playing and like didn't really like didn't like try not to take her on in case it stopped but then just like this entire monologue of like the whole of any dreams basically came out yeah I'm um, sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry I was that was amazing to... it was great yeah. like I th- that was obviously in you and we hadn't it was like a tough day and stuff as well but it was just like a nice uh it, it I think the 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 way that that song is it kind of is like a, a real meander yeah same sister there in conversation with Dave um, who will be speaking quite a bit on that episode I'm sure <laughs> you'll find out on Wednesday uh, it's going to be a good one and as I say Saint sister's new album Where I Should End is out now um, I've had a little listen myself I think people are going to kind of sit up and take notice of the record yeah. the opener in particular my brilliant Incredible. friend just knocked me out like so yeah, good it's um, so good Really is. So, yeah, that's to look forward to on Wednesday. But returning to the present, centre ourselves, Ara. Yeah. It's a special edition because you're on, of course, but it's also a special edition because it's a Bob Dylan extravaganza and we have Youth the Tank. <laughs> um, so yeah, exciting. It is very exciting. I feel like it's going to be a divisive one and not maybe in terms of the selections, but the team itself. Um I know, like amongst the people behind the scenes and no encore, Dave being one of them. I think he reacted with disbelief. I didn't get any reaction from him initially. I I got then I got a fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, He's I not actually... a Dylan head. No, and I am. Um, I was really sad because I didn't get any reaction from him. Uh, and I remember when we were kind of going back and forth on the top five choices and I was like, please let me know what his uh, reaction is to this now. I can't wait. Because um, obviously if Dave's not on an episode, you want to kind of like really turn the knife and do something that will make him just <laughs> well, Hold like, on a second. <laughs> oh no, not like Ulterior motives no. here. <laughs> Drive no. him off his own show. <laughs> no, but it's good for like, if there is no encore listeners out there who maybe would appreciate to hear about um Bob Dylan and his songs and perhaps your opinion on him um because I know you guys reviewed Rough and Ready Ways last year with uh David Tapley and I found yeah. that a very interesting uh uh listen and interesting review especially from kind of Dave's point of view of him coming out of very clean um and I know he always says that it's a blind spot and like that might intimidate him to delve into. And I completely understand when people have those blind spots on big artists, like um, we'll talk about them later, but Kiss would be a big blind spot for me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for good reason. Um, Um, Spoilers for the news section, by the way. Yeah, But yeah, I was was very excited when you suggested this. We had some good options on the table, but yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Bob of late. Mm. Um, You, of course, on the show, um, on our year-end review, we talked about the album because it was a real triumph and it placed quite Mm. high. And yeah, we're like, I think precisely one month on from Bob Dylan turning 80, uh, but Mm -hmm. we needed exactly four weeks to mull over what that means and what he means to us and clear your schedule and get Dave to take a week off. <laughs> he's we'll also got a, um he's got a live stream coming up soon. He does, yeah. It's gonna yeah. be his first gig in quite a while and he's streaming it because he's a modern man and these are modern times. So yeah, we'll we'll have a bit of a Bob Love in, uh which I think he would probably hate as well. Yeah. Um but for those of you who don't get the Dylan thing, there's gonna be plenty there as well. Because it's a top five um best Dylan songs, which you're taking care of, and it's yeah top five worst Dylan songs which is um, falls on my shoulders and it's actually really the coward's decision I think masquerading as bravery because picking like it's such a daunting thing picking like the five all timers of them and there's quite a bit of options out there in terms of worst material which we will get to but before that um plug for our patreon of course patreon.com forward slash no encore you will get uh, extra bits and bobs there's weekly posts we'll be doing our monthly recommends podcast uh, no ox cord very soon i think that's next week and there's plenty of stuff on there um if you want to throw us some cash we would be absolutely delighted if you can't do it we're just delighted you're listening and if you're already giving we totally adore you uh, it really means a lot to us that you're supporting the show so will we get on with the show um I think it's time for this. Hey, you heard about the good news? We've breaking news, Zara. <laughs> and it is brought to our attention. It is good news, I guess, maybe. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if you're a fan of Mumford and Sons and not particularly their banjo-based music, uh, the breaking news is that Mumford and Sons are down a controversial banjo player. Winston Marshall, who we've discussed in the show before, has quit the band um he's been criticized for endorsing a book by a controversial right-wing commentator andy ingo the book in question was kind of dealing with the quote-unquote dangers of antifa 
or Antifa, as you should really pronounce it. But <laughs> he kind of put up all these posts saying, well done, Andy. It's a great book. You're, you know, really opening my eyes, all that kind of stuff to paraphrase him. And the band came in for a lot of heat. Um, it was up in the air whether he would stay. He's taken the decision himself. Um, it says in his IG statement to step aside completely. He's no longer part of the team. Um, I've got a statement here. I'll read a little bit of it. It's kind of him doubling down. There's no apology here. And yeah, the the vibe of this is like, I found my my truth and I don't want to like put the band in jeopardy. Um, but like, this is how I feel. And here it goes. This is a difficult decision first brought about by an unintentional Twitter storm. Aren't they all? Uh, in March, I tweeted about the New York Times bestseller, all caps, unmasked. Uh, he goes on to say the book documents the recent activities of the extreme left in the US. He says his tweet was misconstrued um, as an endorsement of the equally abhorrent far right. He said nothing could be further from the truth. He condemns unequivocally all political extremism, be it of the right or left. Um... (laughs) He says at the time and, you know, in the pressure cooker of everything, the band had invited him to continue with them. He says, considering the pressure that took courage, I've spent much time reflecting, reading and listening. I know now that as long as I am a member of the band, speaking my mind on the evils of political extremism could bring them trouble. My loyalty and love for them cannot permit that. However, to remain in the band and self-censor will gnaw my conscience, erode my dignity. By leaving, I hope to speak freely without uh, them suffering the consequences. So he's doing this for his own free speech. Zara, (laughs) your free speech is protected in this space. Uh, What would you like to say to Winston and the audience? Um, it's not the best apology or kind of... It's not um, an apology. No, <laughs> yeah. or not even, uh, it's not even a very good statement of, you know, I'm trying to better myself or like even taking on some of the things that people may have said to him. I There's certain points of that statement that really stand out to me, like the he has talked to the band about him staying. I can't really imagine that that happened. That's just conjecture, of course. Um, I also have to wonder about what he has been reading and the conversations he had in the light of the initial Twitter storm. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I was not surprised when I saw this initially. I mean, this is a band who had Jordan Peterson in the studio with them at one point. So on tambourine uh, or <laughs> just just for energy just vibes, for vibes i guess probably yeah you probably bring them meat um but yeah i don't know it's just a bit of a weird one and leaves a bit of a bad taste in your mouth i guess especially his just uh his announcement there hasn't really left a very good kind of taste in my mouth i don't feel that he's a very right on kind of guy um yeah i mean do you know what i'm kind of one for i'm often quick to go like twitter will sniff out a controversy and like he read a book so suddenly he should be kicked out of the band it wasn't really in favor of it getting overinflated but the way this is kind of the tone of this and the way it's phrased it does feel like he's like a far older gentleman reading too much Mm. facebook and is going down a weird rabbit hole and is like sacrificing his career now to Talk about the dangers of the far left in England. Is is he really judging the climate correctly? (laughs) Not for me to say, really. But this seems like a bad move on his part. 
Yeah, it can't, it, I can imagine that in about a year or two when this kind of settles a bit, he'll probably just go into production, won't he? Yeah. Or yeah. session musicianery. Or, um, I mean, so. I guess the big thing is, you know, he'll be hanging up his banjo for the lads. The banjo is featured predominantly, you know, on Mumford and Sons records over the years. Although Adam did point out earlier on that their most recent one was kind of more streamlined rock and maybe mm. their best one. Adam said is that a full quote um, but yeah we're going to miss those like Mumford and Sons gigs aren't we where they just strip oh. everything back and they like gather at the front of the stage with the audience and just like the banjos going and it's like the Clancy brothers are there in spirit and no more because of the far left Sarah I mean what good is the far left doing us if this is the outcome of it like it's very upsetting isn't it <laughs> Our sonic architect, Adam, would like to clarify the best doesn't mean good. Um, so good to get that clarity. We're yeah. getting clarity in another story we've been following for quite a while. This was um, the big one today, I think. Sorry, Winston, but it was Britney Spears um, filing, have, finally having her say in court. Uh, she made a virtual appearance um, and this was dealing with her ongoing uh, conservatorship. As I say, we've been following this story quite a bit and one of the main um, developments has been me being able to pronounce conservatorship. (laughs) Almost. Oh, you nearly did it. (laughs) You say it, Zara. You say it. Conservatorship. (laughs) Nailed it. I can't say I had a real problem trying to say multi-instrumentalist for a while, but I can say Multi-instrumentalist. Oh, I didn't think I'd get through that. Yeah, that could be a tricky one. Um... But yeah, yeah. Brittany is asked a judge to end the conservatorship. Um, She said that the court order legal arrangement, which has been controlling her life, is doing me way more harm than good. Her statements, that's pretty shocking stuff. Mm. It um, it kind of vindicates all of the free Brittany um, movement, really, to a large extent. Um, Like worst case scenario from what Brittany's saying was going on. And yeah, this kind of, the court proceedings have been going on for quite a while, but Brittany herself hasn't really had much of a public say. So this really kind of stood out. Um, For those of you that are just catching up now, so this conservatorship um, came into effect in 2008. And it basically means that Britney Spears, like personal affairs, her finances are all overseen um, by this court order. And it's kind of for the majority of it meant that her father has been controlling everything. And it's usually like a legal arrangement that is reserved for the elderly or the infirm. Um, It kind of allows them to dictate every aspect of her life. Last year, she did say she was afraid of her father. Um, And she made this kind of virtual appearance at court. She said, it's not okay to force me to do anything I don't want to. Uh, The conservatorship should end. I truly believe this conservatorship is abusive. Uh, as I said, doing me way more harm than good. Uh, I deserve to have a life. I've worked my whole life. I deserve to have a two to three year break. And yeah, she says she's not happy. She can't sleep. She's angry. Uh, it's insane. She's depressed. And yeah, it's horrific, horrific. It's like sad. some of the details in this, what did you make of them, Zara? Um, so I saw this breaking a bit last night when I was on Twitter. Um, the first thing that I saw come out was uh, the statement where she said that she wanted to be able to get married and have a baby. Mm. I was told I can't get married. I have an IUD inside me, but this so-called team won't let me go to a doctor and remove it because they don't want me to have any more children. I mean, that is just such a, a breach of anyone's just fundamental human rights um let alone like looking after their financial and business side of things like nobody should be able to um 
inflict such boundaries on someone. And just reading through it today, it's just incredibly, incredibly sad. It's been such a sad story to follow. Um, there was aspects as well, you know, as you were saying, I just want my life back. It's enough. But the thing that also really struck me was um, how she said that she didn't speak publicly about it because, as she said, she didn't think anyone would believe me and that she thought she would be made fun of. And I think that that's just such um, a sad reflection on the treatment that she was given uh, in that kind of 2007 era um, of her career and um, her just constantly t- being a joke for like comedians and like SNL and just anyone mm. anyone was like kind of had free fodder of making fun of someone who was very clearly under a lot of pressure had never had freedom um, and they didn't know what was going on in her life. So just horrible to think that she just felt she had nowhere to go to. Um, and actually reading through the news story just before coming on to record this, I actually couldn't help but think of her song, Lucky. Are you, do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, I am. Yeah. And like the main kind the of... The sentiment of it is very close to this statement. Yeah, yeah. It's it was actually really harrowing, like reading this, but then thinking of, you know, this song where she is, you know, has people around her being like, oh, she's so lucky she's a star. And then she reveals the loneliness of that. So that just kind of added another aspect to just how awful this is. And um, really, really hoped that there is some kind of resolve. She gets some support within her team. Um, I mean, I watched the um, the Britney documentary. What was it? It was a Finding Brit or no, what was it called? Yeah, uh, the New um, York Times one. I yeah. think there's another one in the works as well. Or yeah. maybe it's even out, but yeah. Um, just so terrible, so sad for someone who was just, is such a huge part of all of our generation's upbringing. Like she's just so omnipresent. And now to just see her in such a kind of static position in her life when at one point it seemed like the world is her oyster is just, yeah, it's mad. It's very sad. Yeah. Um, framing Britney Spears was yes. the documentary title. Just had a quick look there, but yeah, it, like, and as you say, like a huge part of like our, our generation and growing up. But it feels like even these these like the details of this feels like it belongs in a totally different antiquated age. Like it's surreal that this goes on. It's like a caricature of all of the kind of evils you hear of the music industry, really. And it's just like sheer exploitation. Um, yeah. You would hope that. Uh, it does seem like, you know, the legal process is ongoing and she can apply to get it removed. It seems like she's a decent legal team behind her at this point. And you would feel that the kind of, this is a big statement. She's kind of come out publicly. There's going to be a lot of pressure around proceedings now from the public. She does have that support now. Thank God. Um, so hopefully things start moving in, in a good way. Like reading this, as bad as it was, I did feel some kind of like secondhand catharsis because it's like, okay, she's actually being able to say it, um, which must have been huge for her. Um, Mm. But yeah, I guess we'll continue to follow it. Hopefully, um, hopefully for the better. Hopefully we get some decent updates and yeah, more kind of sad news. (laughs) One man who helped usher in a new age and got no thanks for it whatsoever. And another case of not really knowing, you know, what's going on with people, even if you think they're on top of the world. There's been an outpouring of support for T-Pain this week. Uh, influential Florida artist, um, probably, I guess, most associated with popularizing auto-tune. Um, he was in a new Netflix series 
which Adam says is really good. This is pop, um, which deals with kind of big changes in, on in like the pop landscape. There's a boys to men effect episode. There's a Stockholm syndrome one, which is all about ABBA and Scandi pop, which is great. But there's one about auto tune, and they've got T Pain, and it's clearly very, very candid. He's talked about um, slipping into a four year depression himself, and yeah pretty incredible incident that he said sparked it here's a little clip i heard a story about you and usher on an airplane (sighs) we were actually going to the 2013 bt awards and we're all in first class and uh i went to sleep I was awakened by um, by the flight attendant. She said, Usher would like to talk to you in the back. So I got up and went back and it was like, uh, you know, how's everything going? Quick, small talk. No big deal. And um, he was like, man, I want to tell you something, man. I was like, what's, what's, what's good? I thought he was about to tell me something real. He sounded real concerned. He was like, man, you kind of f***ed up music. I didn't understand. Usher was my friend. He was like, nah, man, you really like, you really f***ed up music for real singers. Literally at that point, I couldn't listen. Is he right? Did I, did I f*** this up? Did I f*** up music? And I, and that is the very moment and I, I don't even think I, I realized this for a long time. That's the very moment that started like a four-year depression for me. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Sorry, just watching you listening to that clip. And like, I think Adam as well, we're kind of all welling up a bit. <laughs> that is so upsetting. Oh my God. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be the biggest T-Pain fan of all time. Uh, would definitely enjoy a lot of his songs if I heard them kind of passingly, but... God, for like, really annoyed at Usher for that. Like, especially because like, Usher didn't fucking revolutionise music either. (laughs) Like, He had, yeah, and he had Let It Burn. Like, and you remind me, three, three songs that come to mind immediately. Obviously, he's got a lot more in his, in his wheelhouse. But like to listen to T-Pain there and even just when the interviewer asked him an issue about it and just the weight of that side. Yeah, yeah. Like that is like, such a sincere expression of just like how difficult obviously that whole experience was um and I would imagine that like Usher was probably someone that he looked up to as like a role model or like someone that he aspired to perhaps um and I can imagine like obviously imposter syndrome in the last couple of years has become such a huge talking point amongst artists um whatever about like getting imposter syndrome from this like to for someone to say that you've ruined music for using autotune like autotune had been used for decades beforehand like this is just I mean would Usher say that to share on a plane I don't think so I don't think so no um it's clearly just like a bit of a bully mentality like not to project onto like Usher's character well I mean he seems like an absolute 
don't well, yeah, care. It's, like, just a, it's just a very strange thing yeah. to do. To, so, and like T-Pain saying, like, I thought we were friends. Yeah. And it's such a compromise, like a situation where you're in this enclosed space and you're like, you know, like waking someone up to just like undermine their entire career. <laughs> I don't get it. I must say I completely agree with Usher in terms of T-Pain did fuck up music for Usher because Usher was doing tired, stale R&B mm. that, as you quite rightly say, was like so based on like the legends and he was played out and T-Pain brought in this whole new wave, this whole new sound, um, which had been, uh, you know, as you say as well, used quite a bit, but the way it was just integrated into hip hop, just things took off incredibly. Mm. And I'm not the hugest T-Pain fan, but I think like, this nonsense talk around autotune of like, oh, you've got to get like ugh, the organic voice, the unfiltered voice. No, it's just another instrument. Mm. T-Pain used it better than anyone. As we know as well, not that it really matters, but like we've seen T-Pain on like the Tiny Desk series where he just has an immaculate voice uh, when he wants to. So it was clearly an artistic choice for him. He's clearly um, a deep thinker in that regard. And just... <laughs> Yeah, maybe he did feck things up for a little bit for Usher and the world was a better place for, for it. Um, so yeah, it's but it seems like T-Pain's gone through quite a bit. He's had financial mm. woes, bad manager who would apparently just buy complete dumps and think he can just throw on some paint and sell them off and just got to a point where he'd burned through like 40 million quid and he had to borrow money, he says, to get his kids Burger King. So the last thing he needed, mm. <laughs> basically, was this from Usher. Um, yeah. The last thing he does want, though, is people getting on Usher's back. And I guess, you know, these pylons don't really help anyone. Which I actually, I respect as well. Like in his statement, he's like, I still love and respect Usher. Telling that story was no meant to disrespect that man. People talk shit about me 24-7. But when it comes from someone you truly respect, it hits different. I never said fuck Usher. It was a drop in the ocean of shit I was already going through. So yeah, yeah. it just seems like a very stand up character, T-Pain. Um, yeah, for sure. Hopefully things are going better for him now. Um, yeah. And in that same same vein of, you know, artists or estates kind of preemptively backing up other artists George Michael's estate has okayed Lord's new single excellent have you heard link, it sir Craig, excellent link <laughs> <laughs> thank you picked up a few things Solar uh, Power yeah it's out now and it's just like the whole narrative around this is being like what 90s song does it sound like and yeah. it's kind of most of them <laughs> yeah I listened to it actually the morning that it came out I remember walking to the bus to go to work and I was like, okay, oh, I might as well just stick it on now. I wouldn't be the biggest Lord fan. Um, I think, did I come on No Encore to do Melodrama? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Um, yeah, so I haven't really ever gone back to that. I'm not a huge fan of hers. Um, but I was like, no, I should listen to this because it is pretty zeitgeisty. Um, and was just appalled by the song. Like, um, yeah, as he said, it's very similar to George Michael Freedom 90 she uh, got in touch actually with Bobby Gillespie of Primal Scream yeah because people were saying it sounded like loaded as well by Primal Scream and she does she says that it was actually that was the blueprint for the song Mm. Uh, but yeah she got out in front of it and said uh, Primal Scream had given their blessing to the song Uh, as you say he he was apparently lovely about it Bobby Gillespie Uh, he said these things happen you caught a vibe that we caught years ago (laughs) (laughs) he gave us his blessing I imagine that wasn't the end of Bobby Gillespie talking I imagine then he was talking about like how reality is fractal and they're tapping into the same cosmic waves I don't know 
yeah but yeah I have he's actually, pretty chill dude yeah i have a note just like beside that quote just being like i would love to have heard that call in full um but also would have loved to have been in the room like obviously her management being like you should probably get in touch with bobby gillespie just in case just to make sure that the vibe check is good um yeah. so i think just everything surrounding this is very funny um actually before we went on as well Tapley was telling me that there was an article yesterday about this and it said uh, great artist George Michael from one great artist to another artist so it kind of makes it seem like George Michael's great but Lord's kind of all right um, which I thought was kind of funny that's true (laughs) Um, but yeah interesting story I mean look music is pretty like pretty cyclical in how it sounds people are going to take influence from a lot of things sometimes unconsciously so ugh, i'm happy enough to just let this one slide a bit especially when jack, <laughs> <It's> jack <biggie>. <laughs> An- <laughs> have you got in touch with lord or should we no i'm it? actually i'm waiting for her to call so any day cool. M- my big thing with this story was like whatever about bobby and we're like yeah of course he's gonna be cool with it um but you know and i'm sure if george michael was still around he'd be cool with it but when you hear like the artist's estate getting involved the first thing you would kind of assume is that like they're going to be looking for the cash money here right like we all know the marvin gay story with blurred lines where i mean you know blurred lines being the horrendous <laughs> creation that it is probably good that marvin gay's estate got some cash but i stand by the fact that like you can't copyright a vibe or whatever and this would have been very yeah. similar to that so it was nice that george michael's estate were like he would have been flattered uh mm. you know <laughs> wishing her every success unless there's something going on behind the scenes where <laughs> there's some exchange of money but it seems like it's all all good potentially i also was very interested how this story expanded then to like lord reaching out to billy eilish um, yeah she was on she was on annie Mac's show and she was talking about how they can kind of relate to each other yeah, very interesting as well to read this story and then also think about the Britney story at the same mm. time. Um, obviously, Laura is 24 and Billie Eilish is 19, but has been famous for a long time since she was about 15 or so. Um, and she was just reaching out to her and um, making sure that there's a handful of people who understand what it's like to be a teenager, um, especially within the music industry. And she was saying how like I, Billie Eilish is really close to their family, which is always great and can always help. Um, I suppose it kind of depends on the circumstances. Yeah, the um, family. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then it kind of led into the uh, apology that Billie Eilish put up on her Instagram stories Uh, Yeah, a five-year-old clip has resurfaced mm -hmm. on TikTok. It's from when she was apparently like 13 or 14. And it's her mouthing an apparent racist slur. Well, it is a slur. It's it's her actually mouthing along to a Tyler, the creator song from 2011 before Tyler himself kind of woke up. (laughs) Uh, The song Fish. But it's, I haven't seen the video, but from all the descriptions, it's literally her mouthing along to a song she likes. And in her apologies, she says she didn't realise at the time that was a slur. It was her first time coming across it. And yeah, like, I I don't know how much backlash there's been to this. I'm hoping that there's very little because like she was like barely a teenager. It feels like a bit much to get on her case about this. What do you reckon? 
Do you think that this was a, an attempt? Because it was a TikTok that it was like surfacing yeah. on. It was like an edited video of her doing this. Do you think that this is like an attempt to try and cancel Billie Eilish? I mean, it would appear that whoever yeah. put the clip together is very much like calling it out for... I never know with these things because yeah. so many of the stuff that's like surfacing or resurfacing is good and it's getting kind of, you know, like victims, some, you know, place in the spotlight and raising awareness. And then there's this kind of stuff where it feels like it's someone digging back a long way back to essentially a child uploading mm. content online and being like, probably in the back of my mind being like, well, if I kind of, you know, put the spotlight on this, mm. I'll probably get some kudos myself. And do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of clout chasing. It feels like that to me. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but... I thought her apology and like her statement was a pretty acceptable yeah. one. Um, I thought she was kind of right on and seemed very sincere. And it also just seemed like she had written it herself. Um, not to be like patronising, but like in a lot of those cases, it like when you're a star that big, I guess that PR and management are going to swoop in in a big way. Um, but just like the tone of it just seemed very much like... I guess a 19 year old who is like having to answer for an, something that she un, unknowingly did when she was like 13 or 14. Um, so she said, regardless of my ignorance and age at the time, nothing excuses the fact that it was hurtful. And for that, I'm sorry. Um, she went on to say that she did not mean to cause offence and the prospect of causing people hurt absolutely breaks my heart. I not only believe in, but I've always worked hard to use my platform to f- fight for inclusion, kindness, tolerance, uh, equity and equality um, and I think like following her career since like the start of her de- her like debut album and stuff she always has been quite an admirable role model um, yeah. and character like I have a 12 year old niece who um, not necessarily would look up to Billie Eilish but would definitely um, admire her and follow her music and listen to her music and you know for her then my niece to see something like that on Instagram it's kind of um ho- like not hopeful because I know my niece is quite right on anyway but like it's just good to see that Billy is directly communicating with her fans and you know maybe raising awareness with younger age groups that that kind of stuff's yeah, not sure. on yeah um yeah so maybe some good will come from that and yeah definitely since she's been in the spotlight i don't think she's put a foot wrong and she's allowed to put a few feet wrong like we all should be um but anyway talking about like unknowingly doing stuff slightly lighter story and um i don't know how familiar the listener will be with these acts um but i had to include this because it's one of the most cringeworthy things i've encountered that don't directly involve me in recent times which is always good um, so last week, the band Islands, who are this Montreal indie outfit that went away for a while, kind of retired and came back, um, they released a new album, uh, Isla Mania. Um, Nick Thorburn is uh, the leader of Islands. Um, a month ago, they put out the lead single, it's called Carpenter, and when they shared that track, uh, Thorburn said in a press statement, just talking about the creation of the song, This one was an early song that I demoed at home as a little throwaway. Unfinished, it sat in a folder on my computer collecting digital dust until I stumbled upon it many months later. I'd completely forgotten about it and listening back, I was totally caught off guard. It sounded like I was singing someone else's song. And he continues, uh, in that fashion, it's a lovely press release. Um, Thorburn has now (laughs) apologised. 
after <laughs> I feel so bad for him. Like I'm, I'm giving him the, all of the benefit of the doubt on this one. He's now apologized after being notified that he was in fact singing someone else's song. Uh, Stereo Gome have noted that the first part of Carpenter takes its lyrics directly from Julie Burns' uh, 2014 Prism song. It's not just the lyrics. Have a listen to the side by side. The fucking difference oh in tone is so good. It's like fucking Vashti Bunyan or like Connie Converse versus. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, there's, a, there's a definite similarity there. <laughs> so um, oh, let's let's dead. go back to Nick, and I'm going to continue channeling a, a now beetroot red Nick Thorburn, oh, who's put out another Nick. statement. Oh. He says, "Look, before Isle of Mania." <laughs> I take that was my I injected yeah. that look I should say take all of my quotes as paraphrasing uh, <laughs> before Isle of Mania I had taken five years off from releasing music and considered myself retired somewhere in that interim I heard Julie Burns Prism song maybe on a Spotify playlist though I don't totally remember I guess at some point between 2016 and 2019 I sat down and recorded a little cover demo of the song at home and promptly forgot all about it a few years later, in 2019, I discovered the file in a folder of song sketches on my computer. In those years between, I had completely forgotten the provenance of the song and attributed it to one of my many works in pro- progress uh, I had been maintaining in the growing folder of song ideas. Um, so basically, it just took off from there. He c- goes on to say, Oops does not suffice, <laughs> as is now blindingly evident. My memory is some pretty severe limits. Uh, being labelled a geriatric millennial just hit a little harder today. And he said, uh, of course, uh, all of the proceeds from the song are going to go to Julie Byrne, who's a great artist that people should check out as well. She hasn't, uh, Pitchfork said they reached out to her. I don't think she's made a statement. Um, she hasn't come out <laughs> giving out about him. But yeah... Are we believing him? I'm completely believing him. I can I imagine doing something believe, like this. Like, yeah, yeah, same. Absolutely. I completely believe him. Um, I think also just the kind of good spirit that's with throughout his um, statement kind of backs that up. Um, and again, like it's so easy to get... Uh, an, an arrangement or a melody just like stuck in your head and then when you go like I've heard that a few times there's people have like gotten really into an album and then they go to write a song and they're like oh this is really class and they're like fuck this song already exists um, so I think that the way he does it is really good sport um, like even just being like making fun of himself calling himself a geriatric millennial and like oops doesn't suffice um, it's just very it's very playful. It's extremely unfortunate for him. Yeah. Um, and it being like the lead single as well and he's coming out of retirement. Like it's just, I really feel yeah, for him. I, yeah, I really feel for him. Uh, but I'm glad also that he was just like, look, the money's all just going to Julie Byrne. I'm glad that he wasn't being an absolute dick about it and just being like, no, see you in court. Um, so yeah, in, yeah. in that way, I have I've a bit more respect for, for Nick Thorburn. 
And I will say her album, I think Not Even Happiness is fantastic. So maybe mm. check that out. Uh, yeah. A couple more news stories. We've, we've spent plenty of time in the news section. We don't have an album this week. We're going to get to Bob imminently. It's going to be great. But um, a bit lighter again. Warren Ellis, he's opening a wildlife sanctuary. I just put this in because it was kind of cute. And yeah, he's basically opened a new wildlife sanctuary for animals with special needs in Indonesia, oh, which is so very Warren Ellis, um, frequent Nick Cave collaborator, of course, an absolute legend. Um, what do we make of this? There's one thing that stood out for me. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but it's like clearly him being completely selfless and you know, these animals apparently are in terrible nick. They've been maltreated by humans and he's going to save the animals. Mm. Completely on board, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I had never actually, when I sat down to read this news story, just me being, um, as Nick Thorn- Thorburn would say, a brain of Swiss cheese, I had never thought that animals would have special needs. Um, yeah, I guess if they're like injured or yeah. they're like kept in cages, whatever, and it's just they can't be released to the wild or put. I think yeah. this is adjacent to a wildlife sanctuary, so like they'll just get like mauled to death, I guess, because they can't yeah. outrun things in the sanctuary. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, don't mean to, to laugh. Do point on it. <laughs> I was 100% oh my, my choice of language. Oh my god! Um, I was really surprised by this, but also like even though I was like, that's a gas news story. I was like, it kind of seems fitting that he would do this. Like, I wasn't entirely surprised. Um, I also loved the fact that, like, he was like, yeah, like, I've bought this bit of land. I've donated it to, um, what is it? The Sumatra Wildlife Centre. Um, And he was like, you know, in the past, I put money into things, but this time I I wanted to be a bit more hands-on. So he's designing their website which I thought was which quite is just, sweet. Yeah, adorable. I went on the website. I'm not sure. I think it's the new one. It seems like, like it's a lovely website, but okay. it feels a bit Squarespace-y. It didn't feel oh, okay. very Warren Ellis. Maybe that's not the finished website, but I love that he's getting that involved in like just really kind of admin-y type stuff, yeah. which is great. Um, I also, my favourite part of this though, was when um, they're kind of then talking about his other uh, things that have kept him busy over the last year. So he, um, I actually hadn't heard about this. This uh, passed me by that it was revealed that he has a debut book titled Nina Simone's Gum that's arriving in September and it's a non-fiction work about a piece of gum piece of Simone's chewed gum that Alice acquired in 1999 when the jazz singer performed at London's Meltdown mm. Festival so mm. I have heard and obviously then so the story goes that an awestruck Alice snuck onto the stage after seeing Simone perform taking a piece of gum from her piano the composer held onto it for two decades absolutely rotten like that is disgusting uh, eventually casting the gum in a silver and gold display as part of Cave's Stranger Than the Kindness exhibition um, I have yeah. heard stories of her doing this like putting her chewing gum on pianos and it's it's a quite boss move I'd I might too, start doing stuff like that I'd be too afraid to do that I was just about to say I mean maybe in these COVID times it's not a good move it's not but it ideal, is a boss right, move yeah. I, I, yeah I don't think I could pull it off maybe if you're Nina Simone yeah uh, what did you think of that Greg? <laughs> of him <laughs> this is the first time hearing of it I didn't read down that far and I'm oh, like, did you not? Huh? <laughs> I think I feel like I, I scrolled past his debut book at Rockin' Up at some point, but I mean, I kind of want to read it. The one thing that stood out to me about this story was that, like, it's, you know, he's an unassuming guy. He's, like, quite selfless. The park is called Ellis Park, so he's named it after himself. 
<laughs> How do we feel? I always find that to be a weird move. Now, maybe he's named it after his, you know, family or it's, I don't know. But you know what? We uh, shall call it Ellis Park. Maybe it's good PR. But yeah, like, do you know what I was thinking though? Like when I read it, maybe Ellis is a lot more common a surname than we realise. So maybe... And it's already called it Ellis? Oh, well, no, I doubt it's already called Ellis Park. Like, no, that's definitely Warren putting his, like, literal stamp on it. But it could just be, like, I don't know, Fitzpatrick's Park or something like that. Like, people Yeah, but would... he didn't call it Smith's Park. Like, he's... <laughs> There's a reason he... He didn't go, like, this park is everyone's park because most people have the surname Ellis. <laughs> well, you never know. It could be um, a more popular name than we realise. Be good for SEO, surely. <laughs> it would, yeah. I mean, like PR reasons, SEO, 100%. Yeah. You're right. I'm sorry for questioning Warren Ellis. One band I will question. We've got to go to Kiss Corner just before we God. wrap things up. This is going to get you closer to the band, Zara. Um, oh but who's going to be in the band in the future? We don't really know because Paul Stanley has said that Kiss could continue without him and Gene Simmons. It's bigger than any member. And he's not referring to Gene Simmons' member. Um, I, I don't know why I just said that's that. a stupid opinion, isn't it? That's a stupid <laughs> statement. Yeah, he was talking, he was quizzed by Germany's Radio Bob! Exclamation <laughs> mark on whether a new iteration of the band could emerge once he and Simmons have retired. They're doing this like end of the road tour, which is like wrapping up, I think, late next year because of COVID. And he says, you know, I think that recasting KISS or KISS 2.0 is not what we've ever talked about. Can KISS continue and can it evolve without us in it? Well, yeah, because it's already 50% there. So they've obviously got rid of two of the original members and he's kind of legitimising the fact that they're still calling it KISS, I guess. But he says, yeah, in other words, there was a time where people said, well, it can only be the original four. Then it was, well, it can only be the original tree. Well, things move on and circumstances change. <laughs> so he reckons the end goal is just like replacing everyone in Kiss and it just... I mean, it's happened with other bands who've continued. Yeah. The thing about Kiss is they're such a like soulless proposition that I think this works. They are more yeah. brand than band. Yeah. Is that unfair? 100%. I absolutely loved as well, like the rationale then when he was just like saying how uh, it's oh you know this is the same as Mick Jagger saying that when me and Keith Richards die first off Keith Richards is never dying um, he was like the Rolling <laughs> touch Stones wood. <laughs> touch wood I always get nervous oh, when we're touch, recording touch and we, Ronnie yeah. Wood <laughs> <laughs> let's just wrap up the episode there sorry Bob but um <laughs> Um, but when he's like yeah so it's like when those guys die the Rolling Stones will continue on with two other guys uh, like that will, that, I what? will. No. but also I think is that not Ace Freely who's been kicked out of the band talking yeah. like further down yeah so A, but Ace is like saying that's ridiculous exactly so no, what, that, yeah sorry so what he's, yes. yeah yeah so what he's saying is that um yeah, what he says, but continuing without any of the original members uh, is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard mm. um, Stanley and Simmons make. And yeah, he then makes, you're very right, that Mick Jagger thing. Um, he says, yeah, I mean, it's a joke, which is true, but it's also, it you know, it's Kiss. It's uh, it's kind of a joke to begin with. Yeah, true. True, true. Thus endeth the news section. Ooh. Let's move on to Sir Bob. Actually, that's Be- Bob Geldof, isn't it? I don't know. 
what is Bob Dylan? See, he's many things. We're going to talk about the ever-changing faces of Bob Dylan. But before that, we have a little Head Stuff uh, Podcast Network plug. Here's another podcast you can be checking out. Not right now, a little later. Hello everyone and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Character actor is a supporting actor who specialises in playing unusual, interesting or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performers are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons and they often disappear into each role. So you might know the faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you keep subscribed for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, cinephiles. Bye-bye. Okay, that was I Know That Face. Um, yeah, podcast devoted to character actors. I wonder if they have an episode about Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Well, we do now. An entire <laughs> segment devoted to the man. And to introduce it, I'm going to paint a little picture. So it's, it's 1985. Uh, 43-year-old Bob Dylan is in a Top Gear-esque leather jacket. He does not look comfortable even though he's in a recording studio, it's his natural habitat, but the reason he does not look comfortable so is because he's being coached through his We Are The World lines by Stevie Wonder and Lionel Richie. It's endearing car crash stuff. It's so utterly Bob. Uh, bizarre, unforgettable. Let's do it. We're saving our own lives It's true we make a better day Just you and me Oh, I can do that We are the world That's a little high for me It sure sounded great though, Bob We are the world Sure sounded great, Bob Check that clip out on YouTube It's stunning I just want to hug him It's like he's forgotten that he's Bob Dylan And he's just like it, so with the jacket, conscious. Yeah, yeah he, he wrote. He, it's like kind of a, like a first communion look he's got rocking. Like he's his <laughs> mom's just dressed like that, and he's hanging on to the lyric sheet for like dear life. It's it's the vibe is totally like when you're small and your parents like drop you off somewhere and you're kind of like anxious and you're trying to get your bearings and he's totally like a young animal that's about to be picked off from the herd in like an Attenborough documentary. Um, but yeah, so this segment is not going to be too reverential. Um, try and win some hearts and minds over to the Bob cause. But yeah, I guess the thing and the thinking behind doing best and worst was that I think with an artist like Bob Dylan, you need the worst. Mm. <laughs> like, um, I think he's, he's an artist that takes a huge amount of risks. Um, some of them pay off. I think him just even doing that We Are The World thing is like clearly doing it for the right reasons because he hated every second of being there. But maybe he's like, okay, it's for charity. But um yeah, I'm going to be picking five awful Bob Dylan songs, but I am glad they exist. Um, if Bob is listening, I adore the man. I adore you, Bob, completely. <laughs> I don't want you to like slip into a, a four-year depression. Like I oh, very stop. much i am glad oh, they exist. Gosh. And we have the counterbalance of Zara with his official best songs what tact did you take with these just your favourites or what was your thinking how did so you approach it I found this really difficult because yeah. there were so many uh, routes you could take with it like you could go all time top five Bob but that in itself is really difficult then I was like will I do like uh, 
best songs like across his career and make sure to get like each decade in as well. And then the one that I actually just settled on, which um, released a lot of stress was to just go, no, just pick your five favorite Bob Dylan songs that you would go to regularly. And Mm -hmm. also, which is kind of how I got into Bob Dylan was my brother. I remember when I was like 13, got me uh, Blonde on Blonde when I got my Walkman. So he got me Blonde on Blonde and I listened to that. So I was then thinking about my 12 year old niece and I was like, what five Bob songs would I play for her to get her into Bob Dylan? So that was my... I like that thinking, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the articles written around his, his eighth year last month was... <laughs> A lot of them kind of open with people going, being like, what are we celebrating exactly and who are we celebrating? Because it's like he keeps moving so much, it's hard to kind of point your finger at what he is or what he represents. And that's kind of the genius of him. It's, mm. it's really all about the creative process. But I think if you were trying to be like, here is like in five songs, a snapshot of what he represents, you would just drive yourself completely mad. Yeah. So I think that's the right tack to take. And <laughs> as for me, well... He had some dodgy eras. As I said, like, <laughs> it was a good piece from Edward Dox where he was talking about, like, you know, the Dylanologists and people that are really into Bob that know, like, all of his 39 studio albums, Inside Out, the bootlegs, the kind of basement tapes. Uh, they they say, like, you know, bad Dylan for us is interesting Dylan. And I agree completely. And, I, like, that's not a cop-out. I think, like, you need that side of him to get the kind of the genius of him. It's like mm. the yin and the yang. So I guess um, normally I'd say guest host goes first, but considering I'm doing worst, I think let's end with the best. That yeah. might be the right thing to do. Okay. Fair, fair. So to kick us off, um, one song even Bob regrets making. It's going way, way, way back. It's not like the dodgy 80s period. Caustic Dylan is like some of the best Dylan, but he gets it like horribly wrong here. Um, and here it is. For her parasite sister I had no respect Bound by her boredom Her pride to protect Countless visions of the other She'd reflect As a crutch for her scenes And her society Yeah so kind of textbook Bob musically quite drab though uh, the tune isn't the best but yeah I guess we'll focus on the lyrics as we might do quite a lot in these lists uh, it's Ballad in Plain D it's from Another Side of Bob Dylan 1964 um, and he was getting a bit more personal in his songs this was maybe a little too personal he certainly thought to himself so this is detailing the conflicts between him and his partner at the time, uh, Susie Rotolo's family, um, her mother and her sister, her parasite sister, Carla. Oof. It's just vicious, but in a way where like Bob will go on to do great vicious stuff that is like punching up and uh, really illuminating. Even in a way like the next song on this record is It Ain't Me Babe, where he does it brilliantly and beautifully and it's kind of like him stepping away from himself and being kind of objective Um, but this this ain't it chief (laughs) this is just like because you can imagine at the time like that as well he's so huge and the fam Mm. like he's publicly roasting his girlfriend's Mm. family in a way that just feels like he's very caught up with himself there's no higher thinking here whatsoever 
And yeah, this is a doozy. I'm really, really surprised by that, Craig. It's kind of, you, you've done your classic fr- Craig Fitzpatrick where you like start the top five and absolutely just make myself want to throw myself in the bin. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. That's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> Splendid. I, um, I really did not expect because I have a kind of short list of what I would have thought would feature on your list interesting um, right. I never ever thought that you were going to touch the like folkier side of things um, so I'm I'm very uh, fascinated by that um, yeah I remember the first time listening to this song and like really paying a lot of attention to the lyrics and just my cheeks were blushing for Susie uh, more so like obviously Bob yeah he would be pretty um pretty embarrassed by like being so serpent serpent tongued but I think for Susie in particular like how do you explain that to your mom and sister especially when your sister's called a parasite um, and not even a banging tune do you know what I mean this was no. very much just like this is very run of the mill Bob and some of those early folk albums like the better songs are so well known that mm. it's kind of hard to listen to them mm. and the other ones are just like he's finding his feet which he's clearly doing here yeah. but yeah in 1985 when he was making kind of different mistakes <laughs> uh, he was asked if he had any regrets about it and he says oh yeah that one I look back and say I must have been a real schmuck to write that uh, which I'm glad he said I look yeah. back at that particular one and say of all the songs I've written maybe I could have left that alone um, so yeah so number human. five He's, he's human. He's human and he has regret. Um, it's your number five. Let's do it. Cool. My number five is inspired actually by um, the same Susie. So hit it, Adam. <laughs> Goodbye is too good a word, babe. So I just say fairly well. I ain't saying you treated me unkind. You could have done better, but I don't mind. You just kind of wasted my precious time But don't think twice, it's all right Incredible yeah. Yeah, <laughs> We did not think you. of these <laughs> I can come out of the bin again, so that's good um, Obviously that was Don't Think Twice, It's Alright from the freewheeling Bob Denner from 1963 um, Obviously if you're not familiar with that album you will most likely be familiar with the artwork which fe- features Bob and Susie strolling arm in arm down New York um, It's an image that was recreated in Vanilla Sky um, with Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz. Uh, I remember when I saw that film actually in January I got really excited by that. <laughs> I was like oh look. Um, yeah uh, that's one of his kind of more feverish folk tunes um, again it's inspired by Susie in that her mom um, I think had put up and funded to like send Susie to Italy to study art. Um, it was probably a kind of means to get her away from Bob, I would imagine, because wasn't her family quite affluent? Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, they were from a very right on like communist family. And he learned actually uh, quite a lot about those kind of teachings through Susie. Perhaps it was actually just Susie herself who had those that ideology. Um, so he learned a lot from her and was really inspired by her. And in the liner notes for this album, Dylan said, it isn't a love song. It's a statement that maybe you can say to make yourself feel better. It's as if you're talking to yourself, which I think is such a 
a nice uh, description of a song a songwriter can give. Um, yeah. Because uh, it can be kind of sassy in parts. Um, it can be quite funny. Like you can hear him kind of sniggering as well um, with the bit where it's like, well, we didn't do much talking anyway. It's like, okay, we know she erupted. <laughs> horny bob like Bobby um, but uh yeah a lot of his contemporaries are just like this song is an absolute masterpiece uh so i really wanted to go with something from the free Whedon, uh record initially i was going to go with maybe girl from the north country um but there's just something about this song that i think captures that uh that juvenile innocence of like breaking up and it's maybe your first heartbreak and then you're striding into the world maybe with a kind of cocksureness that you know there's loads out there for you but he still has um a kind of sentimentality to it as well so yeah it kind of captures all of those emotions so feverishly and so perfectly and yeah I love it Love this choice. It's in my top 10. Um, and yeah, like combined with It Ain't Me, Baby, like it is that kind of the yin and yang of Bob where it's it's the empathy you were talking about that he really just gets across so well, which is completely absent from Ballad and Plain D, which is like, this isn't Bob. Like we can slag off kind of ropey production choices, but um, that's just totally absent in that song. That's why I made my list. So this was a really nice selection to get us into the best of Bob Dylan. Um <laughs> All right. So sometimes, you know, words are pesky things. And um, <laughs> Bob Dylan had learned a lot by the 80s, as we heard uh, from his quotes there. As the 80s gave way to the 90s, he decided to get rid of most of the words and do his own kind of tutti fruity thing. This is Wiggle Wiggle. Incredible. Oh, Bob. 1990s Under the Red Sky. And this was after he just had his big comeback with Oh Mercy. And like, he was getting great reviews. It's like, we've got our Bob back. And then like, the next year, (laughs) I remember like, as I, you know, often quote old Q magazine articles on this show, like the wording of them talking about this album where it's just like, um, you know, he released Oh Mercy and the world spun off its axis and then quickly followed with the turgid under the red sky. And yeah, he was kind of back to being all out of ideas. Um, there's a lot of kind of guest appearances on this record. Uh, Bruce Hornsby, Elton John, George Harrison, good people in their own right. Good I think a theme of my list will be like when he gets other names involved, sometimes things go quite wrong if he's not calling all of the shots. Um, Slash is on this. There's a guitar solo. And yeah, it's it's a weird one. Mm. Um, I think like he's talked about it himself and said that like the recording sessions were hurried and unfocused, which you could probably hear there. He was working with the Travelling Wilburys at the time. And like, mm. I think all of his kind of efforts were going into that. And 
uh, like a di- one Dylan critic, um, Patrick Humphreys, author of The Complete Guide to the Music of Bob Dylan, says, then there's Wiggle Wiggle, worse than anything Dylan has ever recorded. Maybe not that bad, but certainly up there jostling for position mm-hmm. in that particular part of hell. Uh, <laughs> particularly the line, Wiggle 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 like a bowl of soup, which was taken <laughs> as proof, proof positive that Dylan had lost it. Definitely permanently, irrevocably. It was hard to disagree. It is hard to reconcile such a line with the man who wrote Desolation Row. And yeah, you know, people get very serious about Bob Dylan. We, I like the humour in his stuff. You clearly do as well, like yeah, we pointed it. it out. But this is just like... Like, I think a lot was made of the fact that the album itself was dedicated to um, his daughter, his young daughter at the time. Um, the dedication was to Gabby Gugu. And people were like, oh, this is kind of like just him doing like nursery rhyme songs. Oh, and it's, but I know this isn't a kid's song. <laughs> like the lyric, like he's going for kind of a raunchy thing. Like there's gypsy women in this. There's like, I don't know, moons turning blue. I don't know. This is not a kid's song. This no. is just a bad song. Yeah. Uh, he was cutting loose. And when he does that, like really like that bar band blue stuff, it's like so beneath him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think when anyone does that kind of bar ba- barman blues, it's horrific. Like, it's really bad. Uh, I actually, I am so, so glad that this featured in your top five because uh, this afternoon I cycled down to the shop. I had to get printer paper and I immediately stuck on Wiggle Wiggle. And I was just like, if this, <laughs> I was just like, this is so bad. And I was really afraid actually listening to it while I was cycling because I was like, this song is actually very distracting. Um, oh, yeah. It's like I'm a prime target for a truck right now. And if that was the case, the what last thing oh listening God. to Wiggle Wiggle. Um, I, I would know, though. I would be able to tell the people that, no, no, she was just doing research for an yeah. episode of No Encore. Yeah, but I was on private session, though. So, oh, um, private session. I do kind of love that he wrote this and that it's like dedicated, or well, like said, it was dedicated to his his, his daughter. That's very sweet. Um, but I had a bowl of soup for dinner and it doesn't wiggle. Really? No, I don't know what's going on with it. Uh, spaghetti would wiggle. Noodles would wiggle, maybe. I Jelly mean, wiggles. We shouldn't Sorry. be having to talk him through <laughs> this. Like he's a Nobel Prize winner. Yeah, that's and that's why it's my number four. <laughs> Your number four for best. Let's go um, back to the sublime, please. So, uh, and sublime it is. Uh, and actually, by way of kind of kismet, this song kind of nominatively determinized itself for its fourth place position you got a lot I know I say you are my friend when I was down you just a big So that was positively Fourth Street. Uh, one of my favourite Bob Dylan songs purely for like just the sheer sass throughout it. Uh, I just love the fact that like from the get-go, that opening line, you've got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. Um, also, it's just like a song that was written in 1965. So it came out as a single to follow up um, 
uh, like a Rolling Stone. So it came between Highway 61 Revisited and Blonde on Blonde. Um, Features, of course, Al Cooper on the organ, very distinct organ playing style, and Mike Bloomfield on guitar. And a lot of people say that this song is like Dylan critiquing the Greenwich or the ridicule that he received from the Greenwich uh, Village residents who, you know, were were the ones who would have thought he was Judas going electric um yeah but i don't know there's just i guess obviously the arrangement of this the guitar the interplay between the guitar and the organ on this is just sublime um because there's such a lightness to it it's got that kind of faux warmth that it's so cheery and then the lines he's delivering are so acerbic it's incredible um i also just i I love his tenacity. Like I love that he has this diss track out in 1965 and is just absolutely dressing down all these uh, assholes. Yeah, assholes. Like S- and saps, saps is better. <laughs> I love saps. If he dropped saps in the book and verse, that would be incredible. Oh, so good. You so saps. Good. Yeah. But um, I had actually initially got like a Rolling Stone in my, sorry, spoiler, like Rolling Stone is not in the top five. Apologies. Uh, I went with Positively Fourth Street instead because even though like Rolling Stone, it's such a ubiquitously regarded best yeah. Bob Dylan song of all time. I actually kind of controversially, I prefer Positively Fourth Street. I, I prefer the hook. I like how there is no chorus in this song as well. So it's just a continuous line for line after line of just absolute hate and I love it um and I it also just has one of the greatest closing lines to a song as well which is just like I wish that you could step inside my shoes just to see what it is a drag how much of a drag it is to see you it's <laughs> oh, so good um I, I can imagine <laughs> a few figures in the Whelan smoking area and workman smoking area, I think, would fit the bill of this person that he is talking Ooh. about. So Shots fired there. No, but it's just Random. such a relevant and it's such a, like when you hear of characters It will never like not be that. relevant. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Uh, so I love this. I love this. It's one of the musicians on this. This is one of my favourite bands of all time. Mm. Just the sound. It's like this tumbling. It's got a mind of its own. It's just so, so good. Um yeah, it's like one of the original diss tracks. Do you know what? It's almost too discerning a pick, sir. I'm like, just, this is like the cool, this is the cool one. Like if you're in the know with Dylan, you're not going to put on like a Rolling Stone. It's going to be this, but with good reason. Um, It's a good one to kind of discover if you're kind of only skimming the surface of Dylan. So yeah. And there's uh, now okay. in Minnesota, there is a positively fourth street since 2015 <laughs> was it just 4th Street and they threw on a positively or is the numbering all out of whack now I, I who knows know. we'll who find knows? out we'll report next week yeah. okay back to the 80s for me yeah. um, they were barren period um, so much so that in 1988 Bob Dylan decided to get some help with his lyrics um, Wiggle Wiggle was coming so maybe he knew <laughs> he wasn't having the best time of it uh, but he ended up with this Like I 
Oh, my God. girl in the world. What were we saying about his sense of humor? Um, yeah, it should be pointed out, this isn't Bob Dylan's sense of humor. It's Robert Hunter, who was the lyricist for The Grateful Dead. Sadly passed away recently enough. He worked with Bob again on, like, Together True Life, like, years later. And has written, like, lots of beautiful, beautiful, like, mind-expanding lyrics. This is not one of them. <laughs> it's, like, such a... Oh, it's just so funny, isn't it? It's um from Down in the Groove... It was released in 1988. It followed Knocked Out Loaded, which might be his worst album, but this is like right there with it. And it's like, yeah, him again, just collaborating way too much. And David Frick at Rolling Stone said, even by Dylan's standards, this album has had a strange, difficult birth. Its release was delayed for more than half a year. The track listing was altered at least three times. And yeah, talking about how there's a huge amount of musician credits on it. Um... Why is this album so bad? We just got a sample there, but like the the infamously bad Dylan album is Self Portrait um, from like around, around about 1970. Um, Robert Criscow points out how at least that was like weird and him trying to do something and like ditch the kind of voice of the generation tag. And like he was, it was just an interesting listen, which I think it is. But this is like, at a point where he's too professional (laughs) like there's a slickness to everything that like when he's doing songs like this they just sound like a kind of bob take on more inferior material uh which i think this is because this reminds me of like it's not a cover it's like him collaborating with robert hunter but it could just be like a huey lewis and the news song i can't stand that band as much as huey lewis Lewis seems like a lovely dude (laughs) um pains me to say but like again that like 80s crooning throwback thing with the fucking bar band. No idea. It's no idea. I have actually never heard that song before um, because I tend to just really, really avoid the 80s albums. Um, So like I very patchily know like Under the Red Sky and Infidels and like Shot of Love just because as you're like it's just that barman band thing it's just very much trying to I think what I find really disturbing as well is just like they're really trying to claw and stay maybe like relevant and it just seems like a real managerial push uh actually earlier (laughs) like earlier today I was like watching various clips of Dylan on YouTube like just best of his interviews and there was one person who was just like talking to him and it almost looks like he has the um the Rolling Thunder review like white mass makeup on but he's like in his at this point he's in his like 50s I guess if it's like the 80s kind of 90s because the person 50s yeah yeah because the person is just like to him um and like you know how do you deal with uh how do you deal with like these younger artists that are coming up like Prince and Michael Jackson like how do you compete with that it's like what do they have to do and he's just like he looks so blank faced and he just goes I don't know it's music videos I think (laughs) they put a lot of time and ideas into music videos and then he just goes like this I don't know though I don't know it's like oh god like he doesn't really and like his heart's not really in it like it's not in this as well do you know what I mean Um, 
so yeah the 80s were probably there's like there's some gems even knocked out loaded i think has brownsville girl on it so you'll always get like a classic because it's dylan do you know what i mean um empire burlesque is maybe worth checking out because it's him going full like synthy 80s production and it's like a mess but it's like compelling but this yeah definitely avoid it um and let's get back to the good stuff yeah, so going from the ugliest woman that he was in love with to a very influential woman that he was very famously also in love with. Staying up for days in the Chelsea Hotel Riding sad eyed lady of the lowlands for you Sarah, Sarah Wherever we travel we're never apart So yeah, that was Sarah from Desire of 1976, uh, which Desire, I think, is my favourite. I go between Desire and Blood in the Tracks a lot. Um, Again, a little too discerning, but (laughs) I jest. It's a great record. And just before he really gets into his Jesus, right? Exactly. Before he becomes uh, saved. So yeah, as you heard there in that little clip there, um, he says, staying up for days in the Chelsea Hotel, riding sad-eyed lady of the Lowlands for you, which of course is a reference to when he lived in the Chelsea Hotel and famously wrote um, sad-eyed lady of Lowlands for Sarah Lowndes, who he married, Sarah Dillon. Uh, this came at a point, like reading about this song and also oh, it just kind of makes your cheeks blush a bit just for the whole tension of the situation like listening to that uh song he cuts between like the image of like the kids playing at the seaside with their beach uh paraphernalia um and then just all of these different ways in which like he's he's really cutting to her where it's like so easy to look at so hard to define and kind of doesn't really pin her out as a very um, nice three-dimensional character. Um, Sometimes he can be a bit superficial, as we heard there in your number three there, Craig. He can be quite superficial in talking about women, um, which can be difficult to listen to. But when he was recording this song, so seemingly the take that is on Desire that we heard is a first take. Uh, it was recorded in New York um, at the Columbia Recording Studios. And um, so Jack Levy, who he worked with a lot on this album, and Sarah is actually the only song in the album that was solely written by Dylan. Uh, Jack Levy, his account of the recording said that Sarah was actually present at the studio and listened from the other side of the glass um, as he played it with the band. And according to Larry Sloman, Dylan turned to Sarah just before beginning the song and stated, this one's for you. Um, And then uh, Jack Levy goes to say, you could have heard a pin drop. She was absolutely stunned by it. Um, I just love this song. I absolutely adore uh, Scarlett Rivera's contribution to it as well. Um, That was another aspect that I wanted to get into my top five. I think if I was to show anyone uh, and to try and get them into Bob Dylan, like, to omit the Rivera contributions and from especially that the Rolling Thunder review era, it's like it'd be pretty remiss of anyone to overlook that. I love how that sound it, it sounds. Um, even fifty odd years later, I think it sounds so fresh. It's so interesting. It's really vital. Um, and I just think his lyrics are just incredible. Um, across this 
this album, but also this song in particular. A nice choice. Um, yeah, it's a great record. Mm-hmm. I, I am thinking now we're going to get like Sarah and we're not going to get a sad-eyed lady of the lowlands. We're going to get a positively fourth street and not a like a rolling stone. <laughs> <laughs> or are we? You used to be so Do you like that? I actually really like like a Rolling Stone from Isle of Wight. It is an abysmal version. I like it. It's got that Danko stank. It's representing um, a wider atrocity, which is self-portrait, but a kind of controlled atrocity, as we've already kind of touched on, and like part of his creative process, (laughs) but not very listenable. I'm not getting all like you know, Trout Mask Replica is a great album you, just because it's a bit genius. Like, this is not something you're going to listen to over the original version. And it's, yeah, he included this, I guess, to be perverse. Maybe he really likes the version as well. Maybe I'm doing him a disservice, but it rocked up on Self Portrait, which was his second double album uh, after Blonde on Blonde. It came out in 1970 and it was him doing like a lot of cover versions of pop and folk songs, uh, some terrible instrumentals, which could have gone in here as well. Him doing a lot of the country crooning voice stuff, which I actually like, but I guess it's like legendary because this was the moment a lot of people were turned off. Uh, if they, if he hadn't shed it, like a lot of people with the whole Judas stuff, this was like all of the right on critics being like, you're supposed to be our spokesman of a generation, uh, Bob. And um, what have you done to us? <laughs> like you've released this. Um, it was, it was a Grail Marcus, like his famous review was just like the opening line was something like, what is this shit? Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's funny. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> um, so it had to feature, like there's lots of, it's it's maybe worth a punt, like one listen through if you're already a fan. Mm. It's not very listenable. I don't think it's like one of the worst records of all time. It's been put up there with the likes of like Lou Reed's Metal Machine music, which was him being perverse as well. Also Elvis Presley's um, Having Fun With Elvis On Stage album. Have you ever heard of that one, Zara? Where it's literally just an oh. album consisting of his in-between song patter and there's no music on it. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's how big well, Elvis was at a certain point. They well, were just releasing that. records of him talking on stage and no songs. Um, I don't think this is quite that bad, but yeah, just for the sheer outrage of like, it, it's also I think important to talk about like his live work, which is like still him. Like he tours like a demon when he can still. Mm. And he will do whatever the fuck he wants. He will twist and contort songs out of all recognisable shape. And like longtime fans can be like on the third verse of a song and be like, what? This is ISIS? Like, do you know what I mean? He's he's wants to do that. This is an example of him starting to do that. And I don't think it comes off whatsoever. And I love how... I do love how upset people got about it. Like yeah. the review, the Grail Marcus review goes on to be like, he, he's ta- like talking about this song and how like, like Rolling Stone is still there, like the splendid beginning. And then he's talking about how abysmally it goes and like the pallid vocalizing. 
and <laughs> it gets very let's just think i gotta pull up a quote from it yeah the song assaults you with a deluge of experience and the song opens up the abyss <laughs> and just how far would you like to go in not too far but just far enough so we know we can say we've been there that wasn't good enough when you gaze into the abyss the abyss looks back at you it peered out your wheels on fire and all along the watchtower but it seems dylan to step back from its edge the abyss is hidden away now um <laughs> Like a rolling stone, as we hear it now, is like a fragment of a faded map leading back to that lost mine. <laughs> it's, like, it's the most flowery way to say, like, I love it. Was he bad? Was the was he bad to begin with? I can't like trust anything anymore. And it's like mischievous, Dylan. It's terrible, objectively, but it has to be. I don't know. I kind of go and make it. a case for it. You think I it's good? Um, I don't know if it was just that I was also um, watching live footage of him from like 76. So like with the same band and the same kind of vibe as well. Um, and I was just getting really into it. So I do really like that really <laughs> strong bass line. I love it so much. Um, and like Bob has always been kind of never celebrated for his singing chops. So... Uh, I can, as someone who also can't sing to save their life, like I really appreciate that and I value that he's made a career using his voice and his words. So, uh, but I do always love the Grail Marcus like takedowns and his reviews. Um, so good. I'll, I'll never forget like the first time hearing about like uh, his review of self portrait and it was just like, God, that is so ballsy to say that, uh, especially about someone like Bob Dylan at that point. Um, and I've always like just wished to have that kind of tenacity in my own work, but I don't think I'll ever reach that. I think it's there, Zara. That's your number two. The <laughs> neck. Um, <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, okay, so sorry. My number two is uh, a pretty surreal style Bob as well, in a kind of similar vein to that uh, rendition you just gave us, Craig. <laughs> Yeah, so that was uh, Visions of Johanna. Uh, I really need to start workshopping my intros for my top fives. It's just (laughs) the one thing that's holding me back. It's holding me back. Um, So yeah, so that's from Blonde on Blonde from 1966. It was his seventh album, which is just when you consider the pace at which he worked and released music, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, so this again uh, was a one take um, but there was a lot of kind of consternation with the recording of this album um, producer Bob Johnson stepped in and he was saying that like so sessions for Blonde on Blonde just weren't really working the band weren't gelling they were doing loads of takes and obviously that is time and that's money also for the label. So um, Bob Johnston suggested moving to Nashville and to work with a Nashville band out there who were just, you know, a bit more chill. Um, but Albert Grossman was just like, absolutely not. If you, He said to uh, Johnston, he's like, if you ever mention Nashville to Dylan again, you're gone. Um, 
Obviously, Nashville became so important to him. Uh, This song was written during a blackout in New York while he was going out with Joan Baez. And at the same time, he was apparently falling in love with Sarah, um, which is where you kind of get the Louise, Joanna. There's also other kind of interpretations that could be about Edie Sedgwick. Um, I think with like a lot of Bob Dylan, he's always just like, I don't really go for that autobiographical route. And a lot of people always as well just say it's really surreal. Um, And it is like some of the imagery in this song is just like even when you listen to the song and read the lyrics along with it um, to try and better understand the path he's going down you're just like where is this song what is going on but I think if you just kind of take it at face value it's it's just a fun fun song Um, I always loved that bit about the the lady with the moustache sneezing and she's like geez I can't find my knees Um, the rhyming (laughs) couplets in this song are so incredible Um, I think there's one in the verse before where it's like about some guy and he's got a lot of gall and in the hall and it's just really like he's just such a master at language and I think that that really comes across so evidently on this song so yeah I love it. I think it's tremendous. I love the kind of the perspective he's taking as well, where it's <clears throat> it's kind of like getting very descriptive about one person while also having these visions of someone else entirely. Yeah. Like it's you can't really get a hold of what the song is, and that just makes it so magical. And he was doing so much of that stuff at the time; it's just incredible. And yeah, master lyricist for sure. And that leads me to my number one. And if you like this song, Zara Edelman. <laughs> Well, you might. I mean, you know, horses for courses. Here we go. It's my number one. If dogs run free, why not we? Across the swooping plain. My ears hear a symphony of two mules, trains, and rain. The best is always yet to come. That's what they explained to me Just do your thing You'll be king If dogs run free Yeah, some light jazz there I am getting into my jazz But this ain't it If dogs run free (laughs) From um, This is the album after Self-Portrait Where he was coming back to something People could digest a bit more It was New Morning Um he was content in his life very content as you can hear on some of the tracks Mm. and yeah he was just I guess where he was being experimental on the last record because he was trying to kick against the zeitgeist or like duck some stuff and I know it was quite brave this is just like he's doing whatever he wants because he's in a kind of cushy place in his life and a happy place and some of the choices are very, very strange. Like this one, where it's beat jazz, which I'm like, Bob doing it. I'm not sure. It's great. It's It features the scat singing of Maritha Stewart. You do have Al Cooper on piano. It's uh, some lovely stuff there. Cool. But, I mean, it is very rote, 12 bar blues. And the lyrics, the thing about the lyrics 
they're not great and also reading about this online because there's so many like Dylanologists out there who will just get in-depth about every single song there is a lot written about this song where it's like bigging it up to a ridiculous degree like <laughs> you heard some lines there they're elemental at best yeah there's like dissections to this online where like people are saying oh it echoes I lean and loaf at my ease observing a spear of summer grass Walt Whitman uh, <laughs> Art Rimbos whatever just like <laughs> putting this faux profundity on it uh, one comment I picked out was what is a dog that runs free it is dog without a master <laughs> who is the master for Bob Dylan he might be God I think the poem was about Bob Dylan's relationship to God or religion well Craig as we all know yeah. Dog spelled backwards is God. Oh, yeah. Why yeah. are you He's putting your dog down at me, Adam Shanahan? Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Our sonic architect is correct, as he always is. Yeah, so maybe that's a nod to his more religious stuff, which I do like some of it. Although when you get into like Shot of Love, there's some horrors there. They didn't make my list. This made it because it's just not very listenable at all. And it's also like that level of Bob whimsy where... I think Bob can be like hugely funny when he's joking about extremely serious stuff Mm. and there's a bit of an edge to it and it's kind of lines to kind of bring some levity to weighty material but when he's just in joking around mood unless it's like a Christmas album from like 2009 which I'm fully on board with um, the 70s version of him doing it it's not for me it's a bit too um, self-satisfied and I don't think that's him really um Actually, speaking of, you know, scat, have you seen the video of Kim Cattrall scatting with her husband? No. And actually... I've not. Is it good? Is she good at it? Um, She gives it a good Is it something she does? Or, oh, okay. um, Is he? Why are they doing it? What's happening, Zara? They just do... They I don't know if they're still together, but they used to just do it for the crack. And there is a very funny video on YouTube, which I highly recommend to uh to seek out but it's uh kim cattrall at home with her partner at the time he's playing the double bass as well i think and from what i can remember and she just like improv scats and she's like this is just something that we're really into i love music and then she does a scat and it's like well he winked at all the he she dogs and barked at all the he dogs and caused a great big hullabaloo um (laughs) Yeah, that's like the main kind of line in it. But when I heard the uh, the woman on that song, it actually immediately cast my mind back to that. It's just so strange. Yeah. Like it almost reminded me of, do you remember the Soy Bomb guy that just yes. got on stage with him at the Grammys and was yeah. like, oh yeah, Soy represents like an expansion of freedom of creative process. And it's just like, like Bob didn't plan that, but it made complete sense by how it was like in, so incongruous. That feels like that to me, yeah. but not in a good way. Uh, All right. Actually, speaking of shot of love, um, I saw a lot of videos where he was like talking about how much he loves that album. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's like, it's great. He was like, I regard Dogs that in the same way as I would freewheeling Bob Dylan. It's like, really? But that's him. He's such a contrarian. Like, mm. I can't, I don't know if you can believe anything he says because he's so many different characters he's playing. He's not, is he even really Bob Dylan? Can, you know, it's I mean, a debate for another day. Let's get to his number one. Well, since we're talking about gossip and uh, conjecture and also... um. <laughs> A complete shift in mood as well. So, Adam, change it up, my friend. Sweet 
so Ouch. so spicy. Oh my goodness. Um that is Idiot Wind uh, from Blood and the Tracks. Uh, probably regarded as the greatest breakup album album of all time. Um, that album is just peppered with so many kind of references to the end of something. And in particular, in this instance, uh, it seemed that it was the end of his marriage with Sarah Dillon. Um, again, something that we were kind of talking about is like the non-autobiographical aspect. With this song, it's actually really interesting to delve a little further into it. Um, the opening of that song as well talks about how um, someone's spreading, what is it again? Someone's got it in for me. Um, they're making up stories about him shooting a man called Grey and going off to Italy. And actually, when you research it a bit more, it, it seems that like the song is very much kind of focusing as well on like gossip and the media and just people trying to like peg him out to be a bit of a asshole, um, which I guess going by that chorus as well, not the kindest <laughs> like. But he's our asshole. Yeah, he is and our asshole. And he's a necessary <laughs> asshole. He's a righteous asshole and he wants to be. Um, but yeah, this is just such an extraordinary song. Um, the passion in it is just kind of unparalleled, I think. I don't think I've really ever listened to a song and felt, you know, you can imagine the spit if you were like sit, standing like right in front of him saying that. You could imagine just your face being covered in like spit from just the passion and the venom in his delivery. And when you watch live performances, Beautiful. yeah, <laughs> not very COVID friendly, but um, but when you watch live performances of this, uh, it's just it's incredible to watch. He is like a whole other beast like doing this. And there is um, a kind of famous instance where he was singing this and Sarah Dillon was in the front row. So you can only imagine the kind of the the shift between her in the studio listening to Sarah to then being faced with Idiot Wind is just something else. Um, it's also a song that's kind of couple or tripleted, is that a word? Um, with Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands and Sarah, the aforementioned um, this also had a different version so it had a far more stripped back version and he actually moved out to Minnesota with his brother David Zimmerman and I think his brother was encouraging him to redo it a bit to give it a bit more oomph um, and personality which thank God he did because ugh, it's just I think one of the most exceptional songs um, and also came in an, an, another interesting time when Dylan was starting to do like art classes with some painter called Norman, Norman Rabin, who got Dylan thinking about time a lot differently. And Dylan had like one of his like real classic Dylan quotes of like, I wanted the idiot wind initially to be like a painting. Um, so it's like, <laughs> okay, well, if we get it, you're, you're a painterly singer. So yeah, love it. Couldn't. It's no Joni Mitchell. No, no Joni Mitchell. <laughs> I like this choice. It would not have been my number one. It's, yeah, like I think it's his best album. Um, I probably lean towards the more tender songs on that record. Um, but this is a definite highlight. Mm. Um, and I think it sums up a lot of what he is. I Yeah, you, like you're speaking about the kind of, it's quite confessional, but also he's always at that kind of remove and there's different characters coming into play and like, you know, a lot of the songs being apparently based off like Chekhov stuff. It just sums up him. He's constantly moving. He's constantly shifting. So 
great number one. Thank you. It's a banger as well. Oh. <laughs> like he's, and it sounds so modern and fresh as well. Do you know what I mean? Just him. We've talked about it on the show before, but just him as a personality, I think he hasn't aged a jot in terms of his... Like his mannerisms and his kind of mm. attitude f- still feels very fresh compared to a lot of the kind of, mm. you know, coming through, like initially being a, like a Woody Guthrie copyist or like a folky hero yeah. to then like the 60s county cu- culture stuff. He always seemed like one step ahead and just, I think he spil- still kind of speaks to the time a lot, which we heard on last year's record. Yeah, like there was, when I was whittling down, like I had a long list of about like God, like 26 songs and I was like oh this is gonna be so difficult and like I had songs like I was really stuck on having like Key West uh Philosopher Pirate on there because it was a real like oh this just came out last year and he still sounds amazing and this song is so tender kind of like what you were saying Craig like going for a tender one but then it's just like I thought it would be more interesting to wade through that kind of concentrated decade of the like where he really had to prove himself really was like coming up against it and going through some really interesting life things that were uh seeping into his music so as easy as it is to then turn to my 12 year old niece and go here listen to this song from 2020 and he still sounds class I think to give someone the basic ingredients of why he is so good and let them then kind of explore the Christian period, explore the 90s Lanois stuff. Um, I think if you give them the the core foundation, you can kind of, it's fun to then discover that yourself. Yeah, and so many kind of like playful contradictions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like even from that quote of like the bad Dylan, it's like the interesting Dylan as mm-hmm. well. Um, worth delving into. Like he is his own kind of like canon onto himself. Yeah. And he's been... Like he's really out in his own, even more so than like I think some of the, the remaining Beatles where he's still doing stuff on his own terms in a real vital way. And he's been there since the early 60s and he feels like he's been moving like almost like tangentially to pop music mm. for like 60 years. Just like ever evolving, kind of willing to age and still talk about that journey. Yeah. But he's kind of like in many ways like bigger than pop music. He just feels like a bigger figure. And maybe I'm just justifying this top five in this theme. Yeah. But um, it's just really interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting to uh, chronicle his career, especially the later stuff and just how he really stood back from it a lot. And unlike the, like Paul McCartney is such a, a, I guess, an easy person to compare him to and try and parallel with just because they went so differently. And especially when you see Paul McCartney doing an album with Ryan Tedder, it just doesn't really fit. And it's just doing it for the sake of having an album out, making sales, staying relevant. Whereas Bob is just like, don't really care about that. Um, he's just there happy making gates in his gaff, um, <laughs> which is really cool. Yeah, I love him. He's great. I, I guess maybe we'll end on, there was this quote I dug out where it's like him, um, when he comes on stage these days and like for in recent years, he has, I think his manager read out oh. this, no, he, oh. <laughs> he has his manager read out this like long spiel about who he is. And apparently it was just like some critic wrote it in like the early 2000s, but like, 
Dylan kind of finds it funny, I think, and it just sums up who he is, but doesn't really. So it goes, the poet laureate of rock and roll, the voice of the promise of the 60s counterculture, the guy who forced folk into bed with rock, who donned makeup in the 70s and disappeared into a haze of substance abuse, who emerged to find Jesus, who was written off as a has-been by the end of the 80s, and who suddenly shifted gears and released some of the strongest music of his career, beginning in the late 90s. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Columbia recording artist Bob Dylan and then he kind of comes out with his like face on and it's just like I guess he finds that hilarious because it's like within the one description it's so contradictory but it's also him yeah he's such a legend he's so cool such a legend confirmed and like yeah we gave the kind of the yin and the yang um and even you know my number one I think that was apparently the first scat song recorded and released outside of the jazz genre. So like mm. he was a trailblazer even on his worst song. Yeah. Always a few steps ahead. It'll be a sad day when we catch up. Sarah, thank you for joining me on this Odyssey. Thank you for <laughs> thank suggesting you for it. It's been fun. Me. Yeah, it's been real good fun. I loved this. Um, Do you want to plug anything? Your Zara underscore Hederman on Twitter. Check yeah, that out. That's about it. Uh, doing my bits over there. So no, nothing to plug. Want to talk about myself right, too much, especially after, especially after talking about Bob for so much. That's fair. Do you I reckon Dave made that. it this far? Yeah. <laughs> do you reckon Dave made it this far? Uh, no, probably not. But I do hope. I do hope that maybe <laughs> in like maybe in a year or like six months, we will have like a we'll ask him and we'll see how he's getting on. They do say about Dylan though, like people there's like a certain point in your life and it's different for everyone where it just kind of clicks or he kind of comes into your life maybe that's a bit too mystical sounding but who knows will that happen for dave i think we get him (laughs) to sit down listening to blood on the tracks and it'd be grand we sort him out yeah totally um one man who made it to the end of this show is (laughs) our handsome delightful magical sonic architect adam shanahan uh engineering this as always you're beautiful we love you um, and for you the listener keep doing what you're doing you're beautiful we love you No Encore will return Dave will return but until then take care of yourselves bye This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.